This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Art. Oh, hi, Annagil. You know what my favorite place to be is? Where? My bed. <gasps> your bed? I yes. also love to be in your bed. It's just... <laughs> no, oh but... Oh, my gosh. Don't We're... give anyone ideas. I mean, I love to give ideas. But what is it about your bed you love? Um, I think it's the lying down. Yeah, the sleeping part. Just, just sitting and luxuriating yeah. and yes. soft materials. Like, uh, that feeling of not having had to step into the day yet. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love that. And you know, it really depends on what kind of bedding you have because Oh, makes a huge difference. Huge difference. Bedding is a personal experience, which is why in a land of online brands with limited options, Peacock Alley offers you unique items to fit your personal style. Have you heard of the pillow test? The pillow test? No, I haven't. What is it? Um, I also have not heard of it, but apparently it's very simple. You lay a pillow on your bed and karate chop it, which sounds really fun. Um, you fold the pillow around your arm and let it bounce back. A healthy pillow comes back to life by bouncing back. If it doesn't bounce back, it's time to replace your pillow. Oh, my Little God. Little pillow knowledge for all of you out there. Dropping that pillow knowledge. Wow. I have to replace everything. <laughs> but you can get amazing high-quality pillows at Peacock Alley. Peacock Alley has amazing high-quality pillows? Wonderful. So I think what I'll do is visit PeacockAlley.com now and check out all of their amazing linens, pillows included. And, guys, if you use the code EARBUDS at checkout, you get 10% off your first purchase. That's PeacockAlley.com using the code EARBUDS for 10% off. I'm so happy that the code is EARBUDS now. I feel like that's so much easier to understand, you know? E-A-R. It is. B-U-D-S. It's just, it's so simple. It's so simple. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm not going to be in this episode coming up because I'm in bed. (laughs) But uh, have a great time with Francesca Ramsey. Oh, I will. Hello and welcome to yet another groundbreaking. No, I say groundbreaking too many times. Let's say it's water fire breaking. No, no, it's just groundbreaking. Groundbreaking episode of Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. Hannah Gell will not be joining me today as she has a job and is currently at work. But I do have extra special guest, Francesca Lee. Wait, Woo-hoo. no, it's Jessica Lee is your handle. Yeah, my middle name, Ram- is, my middle name is Lee. So yeah. technically, Francesca Lee you, is my name. But Francesca Ramsey. Yeah, How Francesca you, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was like, yeah, yeah. I was going like you know it's like when somebody says to me like Harto and I'm oh. like or when people say to me Chelsea and I'm like my name's not Chelsea, Chelsea. <laughs> like but they see Cheska Lee and they just mush it into mm-hmm. Chelsea mm-hmm. so it's it's, it's fine it's it's Cheska Lee it's Francesca Ramsey it's Fran as your mother-in-law calls you uh, my mother-in-law calls me Fran but everybody from my like childhood calls me Fran really yeah it's so I mean as I don't, a Francesca how do you feel about that I have mixed feelings I'm okay with it because I get my name is long I think my only issue happens when people don't know my name is Francesca like I don't know I mean it's Fran no shade no shade someone out there might be just a genuine like Fran Drescher I don't know if her name is Francesca Drescher I I kind of I wonder I I hope it is yeah you know her middle name's Lee too is it? No. Oh. I'm sorry. Nah, way I to know, just I know. Like, dash my hopes and dreams. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only one I don't like is Franny. That's the only mm. one I don't like. For, um, I think for obvious reasons. It just sounds condescending. Hey, and, Franny. Yeah, yeah, and like grandma-y. I remember the Francesca that I grew up with uh, in middle school, or in elementary school, everybody called her Fran. Mm-hmm. And then by middle school, high school, she was like, guys, it's Francesca. Yeah, you know what? I made a hard distinction into adulthood where I was like, I'm okay with you calling me Fran, but I will always introduce myself as Francesca. And if someone introduces me as Fran, I'm like, oh, it's actually Francesca. But you can call me Fran. You know, honestly, it's better sometimes to address things before they mm-hmm. escalate. Oh, I see what you did there. 
Speaking of escalation, you have a new book out called Well, That Escalated Quickly, Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist. Can I just say I love your title? Thank you so much. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we really wanted a title. It was very collaborative, um, as you know, because you are like a book queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted something that really encapsulated how conversations around identity and race specifically often get really heated, especially when they happen on the internet. Oh, yeah. And the internet. The safe <laughs> space to say the worst shit. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so interesting. And all- Well, wait. Speaking of the internet, it occurs to me now that we have not given you a proper introduction oh, to yeah. our earbuds. We're all like, oh, everyone just knows who I am. <laughs> I know. Well, we've known each other since the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, a long, long history between us. A long history. And the uh, it's interesting because I actually didn't know that you, you went viral the same year I did back in 2011. But- What I also learned from reading your book is that you built... Okay, I just have to give you such shout-outs, such props for being a middle schooler in the 90s, (laughs) building their own website. Yes. Did you have the little, like graphics that like the snow on the screen and like a mouse that followed your pointer no 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 I went to a computer camp in like the summer after eighth grade and there was maybe 15 kids at this computer camp and only one other girl and she had a website and I was like I need a (laughs) website because she has one um and and you got francesca.net yeah I did I got francesca.net uh my senior year of high school wow but prior to that like back in the day your web services would come with an ftp which is a file transfer protocol I think Mm -hmm, is what it's called mm -hmm. and so it came with like a little bit of web space Mm. so uh I think we had uh, tripod was like our was yeah. our was our internet, and it came with a little um, web space. So I had my own website in middle wow. school. Uh, did you always have an interest in like science and technology, or was it more about communication? I think it was more about communication. Uh, when I was in Catholic school, we had a computer class. I loved it, and it's so funny in retrospect. realizing that I took typing with, did you do Mavis Beacon's Oh yeah, Mavis Beacon. Listen, we learned typing from a fly-ass black lady. I mean, we did, yeah. progressive. I know, it was Mavis Beacon. (laughs) Mavis Beacon taught me how to type, and I just remember being like, this is so cool. And I was just like really into it, so I begged my parents for a computer, Mm. and the rest is history. You know, I just got really into it, and I just thought it was a cool place to be creative and connect with other people. I had lots of online friends who I'm still friends with to this no day. No way. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I used to like send mixtapes to this girl like in Texas that I met online and we would send each other letters and just all sorts of people who started following my site or my blog back then mm-hmm. who then when I transitioned to video started watching my videos and and you made that transition to video in the very beginning, like in 2006, right? Yeah. So YouTube was founded in 2005. Um, I was a senior in college. And so... Um, and what did you study at school? I went to school for graphic design. Graphic design. Man, you are so cool. Because, yeah. like, I don't know, I, I just want to explain, like, you look so like put together well-dressed business lady with her book published (laughs) went to school went to computer camp like i'm just so like marketing is like my drug i know (laughs) (laughs) like i'm like yo i could do some lines of this branding like i i just love it so much like i so i have half of an acting degree so i initially went to school for acting and then i and then you got your other half in reacting yeah the internet whoa okay (laughs) so yeah i i switched to graphic design and um, you know, it's interesting because I'm not a graphic designer in mm. the literal sense, but it has helped and informed so much of the work that I do, um, the way that I brand myself, the way that I market myself. And as you know, when you are a YouTuber, you're kind of a one person show. Oh, like, you're an entire one person production office. I had to learn photo Photoshop. Right. I just switched to Premiere for editing. I love, love it. Premiere. Love Shout it. out to Adobe. Shout out to Adobe. Hook man. us up with a sponsorship. Yeah, Where are you at, Adobe? Jesus. God. <laughs> But so you were part of the YouTube generation that I was a part of, which was kind of like the the foundation hadn't quite been laid yet. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a direct pathway to being a quote unquote YouTuber. There was no stardom. There was no crossover mm-hmm. yet. I mean, when we first started, that you couldn't even make money. Nope. Because oh, that's another thing I really appreciate about your book. Sorry, I'm just kind of oh, yeah, no, about no, the book okay. a little bit because it's rare for people to actually say dollars and cents. Yeah. And I loved, 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 loved there. that you put it out there because in 2011, my first year on YouTube, I made eighteen thousand dollars total that year. Yeah. Mostly off T-shirts. And yeah, no, I I was selling T-shirts and going to places being like, hi, I'm Hannah. Yeah. I mean, 
your career is super interesting and in that you were very entrepreneurial because like the first video went viral and then you were like, what did I just step into, mm. you know, and then you figured it out. Whereas that doesn't happen for a lot of people, you know, and that definitely takes some marketing sense, some intuition. I mean, you were doing merch straight out the gate. Like I literally started doing merch this year, oh! <laughs> you know, because I, it was people get your merch. Um, you can go to DF. TBA, yeah, you're gonna, you know. need, to, you're gonna need to tighten this I up. Know. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still really new. Just search for Jessica Lee over on those Green Brothers website. Y'all know how to get there. <laughs> but you know, it, it was a time when it was all super new, yeah. and there was no model. You yeah. know, now you see somebody go viral and then they're on tour and they have an album and they oh, have yeah. a cookbook and they have like everything, everything out. they have an app. And suddenly you're like, who, who is the team behind yeah. this? Like 14 year old, the you know? first live comedy show that we ever did to that. Oh, I yeah. ever did. That was your first live comedy show ever, ever. I ever. had no idea. I had never set foot on a stage before. No way. Yeah. That Dude, is so funny. I know. Yeah. So, you know, we do go really far Yeah. Back. What did we call it? It was called Facebook. It was no, it was called like, FaceTime. No. It was called like YouTube. It was like YouTube something. I don't know. It was like a live YouTube show. Tyler Oakley showed up. Yeah. And Mamrie and Grace were there. Yeah. I mean, it was it was And it was awesome. us and it was Molly. Okay, wait. Now we're just reminiscing. But no, we got to focus <laughs> on the topic at hand because we got some really meaty, hearty stuff to get into here. But I want to just kind of give the trajectory. You were making videos for a long time. You obviously were using the internet as a creative outlet, not just YouTube, but writing, etc. And then... You went viral. And your viral hit was... Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls in 2012. And what I loved, loved, loved about reading this is that you are one of the few viral superstars that... Oh, I I love to be an interviewer because I get to say (laughs) stuff like that to people. Uh, But you're one of the few viral superstars that actually had a desk job simultaneously. I I was one of those... uh, you know, I'm terrified? I was a mess. I was a mess. And like... I just don't think it's possible for anyone to understand how overwhelming and scary it is to literally have millions of emails. Like, that's not an exaggeration. Millions of people were if your notifications me. were on. All of my notifications were on. My phone was having a meltdown. And I was supposed to be at work. And I was, like, crying and sobbing. Everyone's like, what is wrong with that girl? And no one knew that I made YouTube videos. You're like, I just went viral. People are like, you have a virus? Are you okay? Do we need to, like, call a medic? Like, no, my YouTube video went viral. Yeah, I had been making videos for six years, and I never made enough money that I was a full-time YouTuber. Right. And I still wouldn't call myself a full-time YouTuber because I don't really make YouTube videos very often. I would call often. you a per- but you also have a show on MTV. Yeah, so You're I'm like a decoded. creator. I'm a yeah. creator. I'm a writer. Personality brand. Yeah, sure. All of those things. Yeah, author. So yeah, when I went viral, it, it changed everything. Were I got you... an agent. Like, yeah. It, it just took off. Now, going viral for a video that talks about race mm-hmm. and, talk- and is in the comedy space. Oh, they were mad. Yeah, well, we were, like, <laughs> I imagine that... Before we get to like the comments, I, I want to stay in your immediate circle. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have coworkers in your office. This thing goes viral. Were you worried about what your white coworkers would oh, say if people were going to feel offended? I was so worried because at that time, shit girls say had blown up like the year before. And Which then, I don't think in 2018 would fly. I don't know. I don't think it would. I know. No. 2018 is like. But I also think that that is why shit white girls say to black girls blew up because the conversations that we're having now around race and gender and identity are so far advanced compared to 2012. I, you know, I rewatched it before today and it was interesting because the things that the white girls say in shit, white girls say white girls as played by uh, you me, in, me a- in a blonde wig <laughs> in a really bad blonde wig. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, it wasn't bad. It was no, it's bad. Meaning, like, it was like ten dollars. But that was probably, yeah. It was probably good though. You know, my girlfriend just bought a wig off Amazon for fourteen dollars that she wore to the Glad Awards. Oh yeah, I saw it. It looked she, good. I thought it looked great. It did look. I mean, this is not to discredit the. You know, there are some thrifty wigs out there. There are. I just bought one that was like super plastic and platinum, yeah. and you know, not very great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can probably layer some like uh, artistic kind of uh, complex connotations behind oh, the sure, choice. Of the sure. Thing. But anyway, so were you nervous that you were going to have coworkers 
not get it, come up to you, feel uncomfortable? Were um, you ready to start the race conversation? No, no, no. I mean, and that's literally why the subtitle of my book is Memoirs and Mistakes of an Accidental Activist. I accidentally started this global conversation about race and microaggressions and privilege. And, you know, the whole premise of the video is that for a large part of my life, I was often the only black person in the room. And so I was in spaces with white people, not just white girls, who were asking me questions that were just inappropriate and I did not know how to respond to them. Right. That, what, and that would continue your experience of otherness. Oh, exactly. Can you give an example? Yeah. So, you know, asking me if they could touch my hair, but they were simultaneously touching my hair already, right. like treating me like a, you know, a petting zoo or like some sort of plant or animal or something. I don't know. Like, do people pet plants? <sighs> Things like that or or ones that I often got were things like, well, I, I don't see you as black. It's almost like you're not black, God, which I know, think people think is a compliment. Yeah. Um, they're trying to say like, oh, I don't see you as like the stereotype. Like it's basically saying all black people are the same and you are the special chosen one. Like you are, mm. you know, like some anomaly that I love sublime. Right. And, and I giving you the choice of, wow, you are either. Uh, your race or an anomaly outside of your race. Yeah. And it's like, wait, can't I just have my identity yeah, as a person? can I just be me? And so that video, again, unintentionally started this major conversation about what it was like to be a black person or a person of color in a predominantly white space. And for me, at my job, I was the only black person on the floor. And my coworkers are like, what's going on? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap. Has anybody on this floor said these things to Have me? Have because- them touched my head? Because <laughs> I'm getting ready to show them this video, and it might get super awkward. Oh, but they were really awesome about it. You know, yeah. they were... Well, it's interesting, you know, with the 2018 comparison, um, and maybe it's just growing up too, but I, we definitely, I grew up in a predominantly white and Asian neighborhood with one black family. Mm -hmm. And in fact, at one point, the neighbor, the the town I grew up in ran an article in the newspaper about the only black family in town. Wow. Yeah. Because it was like, wow, what's that like for you? (laughs) You know, and it. And Let's I make it just a little, little bit, bit worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and I, I committed a lot of those sins. You know, I definitely like he was one of my best friends and I touched his hair all the time and, you know, said things like that. Like, oh, you don't really seem black or you don't come across as like a black person. But know, the reality was he was the only black person I knew. So why? <laughs> why on earth? Wow. Would I be- way to drag yourself. Yeah. You're, like, you're the only black person I know. So how can you not be like the other black people that I don't? No, I, I was also super homophobic. I mean, this was t- high school, middle school. Hannah. Yeah, but you know what? That just brings up a really important point about the fact that people grow and they change. You know, for me, I went to Catholic school and I remember having really bigoted ideas of what it meant to be an LGBTQ person, mm. you know, at, at, largely because I was at Catholic school and we were being fed this information. Right. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we're internalizing this stuff and we don't realize it and our intentions don't influence the way that our words and our actions are perceived they can still really hurt people's feelings well especially when you're in environments that normalize it so much right you know I remember um and this again you know and I want to I want to say these things because I want people who are listening to this if you find yourself having made uh mistakes in the past or have done a or if, you're, if you find yourself thinking like, huh, have I ever done something yeah. dumb? Like, I'm just letting you know, I've done dumb things too. Every single person has. And that was the whole point for me to write this book. I tried to brush his hair once <laughs> with a hairbrush. Listen, the struggle is so I mean, how, what on earth was I thinking? And I remember the exact moment because I, t- I was like, uh, like we were all like playing with like makeup. We were all having very like, you know, it's that flirty high school yeah, kind of vibe. Exactly. You're figuring each other out. Exactly. Yeah. And I took a brush and I like put it on his head and he was like, ow. And I was like. How do you brush your hair? And he was like, I don't. Yeah, that is not in our, uh, that's not not our jam. But like, I felt so ignorant. And then I was totally shamed by like my other friends that were there. And in my head, I was like, none of you guys knew that either. Yeah, but you know what? Again, it, it speaks to how our privilege shapes our worldview, you know? And for example, as a straight person, I have definitely been in situations where other straight people have like zeroed in on the gay person in the room and and said things like, well, who's the man in the relationship? Uh You know, it's like, why are we asking questions about their sex life? Like, who I in love, the world how do you have thinks sex? that's okay? How do you have sex? Why would you say that to somebody? How do you, you have sex? <laughs> exactly. I don't know like, what kind of shit are you into? When two people love each other. Yeah, very you know, much. It's just 
for me, I felt like it was super important, especially because I do talk about identity and, and race specifically in my work. And people often look at me as like, wow, she knows everything. Or they look at me like, ugh, she thinks she knows everything and mm-hmm. she's perfect. And that is the complete opposite of the truth, you know? No. I have made so many mistakes. And that is why I think this book is so important is to say, Everyone makes mistakes, but we can all move past them and we can learn from them. Yes, absolutely. And I imagine that, you know, the response you got to shit white girls say to black girls, it it, it comes at you from all sides. Yes. You know, it (laughs) comes at you from all members of the community because when when all of a sudden people are talking to you as if you are the spokesperson yes. for the community, then everyone else in the community is like, it's like you're not the spokesperson right? Exactly. and you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You're a bad representation of the community. And, and, and ag- also just a bad person. Yes. And, and again, this is not limited just to race, right? Like I have, of course, people have all sorts of things to say about me because of the way that I talk and the way that I dress and my husband is white and where I'm from and, and you don't use this word correctly or whatever it is. But unfortunately, marginalized people, people of all walks of life find that someone says, oh, you're a bad representation for gay people because you are so queenie and you're so over the top or your voice sounds like this or you're not Latina enough because you don't speak Spanish or you sound like Cardi B. But Mm -hmm. like my girlfriend heard that recently where someone said, oh, you're trying to be Cardi B. And she's like, no, I've always sounded like this. You just know what a Dominican person is. Yeah. And and that's okay. Right. Like we are allowed to be individuals. We're not spokespeople for our entire community. And in fact, by placing people into the category of spokesperson, you're actually just playing into the marginalization that's already affected bloop, your life. Bloop, drop some knowledge <laughs> on them. And like at the end of the day, what I would like to see is a world where there's more diverse representation for people of all walks of life so that a Cardi B can exist in the same exact world as a Kerry Washington, right? Mm-hmm. That we can have a, a black woman, an, an Afro-Latina woman, to be more specific, who can be like loud and vibrant and vulgar and embrace her sexuality and without other people accusing her of playing into stereotypes. And, and right, exactly. Or saying that like she has to act a certain way in order to better represent all Afro-Latinas or all black women, which right. is ridiculous. Well, did you encounter now I, I kind of want to bring it back to social media and entertainment as a, as a career path, which I wonder, was it affected by your outspokenness? Like, did you find yourself? Oh, well, you know what will be affected is if I don't go to a sponsor. So, guys, <laughs> I'm going to be affected by not taking a break. So, real quick, a word from me. Hey, Hannah Gelb, I have to interrupt this podcast to tell you something. What is it? You Are you pregnant? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Exclusive. It's a miracle baby, and it's yours. Wouldn't that be just fabulous? Ah. <laughs> I am prepared to start a whole new life. Yeah. Oh, you are? Mm-hmm. Well, for a whole new life, you're going to need a whole new look, my friend. A whole new wardrobe. Where would you find such a wardrobe? Well, millions of women say Just Fab is their go-to site. <gasps> JustFab.com? I hear it's changing the way women shop. You know how it's like super, super fun to take quizzes online? I love taking quizzes online. I mean, right? Who doesn't? Okay, so if you go to JustFab.com, you'll take a style quiz, and then you'll get a personalized shopping experience with your favorite styles rising right to the top. Oh my God, that sounds great. But is there anything in it for me, someone who doesn't like to spend any money? Why, for you, Hannah Hart, my frugal friend, you can become a VIP. When you do, you get 30% off retail prices and access to tons of other exclusive sales and perks. Well, Hannah Gallup, you seem so happy in your fabulous new wardrobe. So if those earbuds listening want to also be fabulous, just head over to fat just head over to justfab.com slash Hanalize and sign up as a VIP. You'll get 50% off your entire order. You heard that right. Just visit justfab.com slash Hanalize and get half off everything on the site. Again, that's justfab.com slash Hanalize. And we're back. We're talking. I always say, and we're back, and I always like to do it as if it's linear radio. I'm like, yeah. we're talking with Francesca Ramsey here today about race, the internet, I success. love it. Yeah, and books, uh, promoting and discussing her new book. Well, that escalated quickly. Anyway, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about entertainment and career choices. Here you find yourself falling into accidental activism or all of a sudden being confronted with all these ideas, viewpoints, etc., while also continuing to make content. What were those decisions like in that in those early years 
of what style of content you would make. Yeah, I mean, I had been making videos for six years prior to Shit White Girl Say going viral, and I had tried everything. And I was largely known as in the natural hair space. Um, I have locks. I've had locks for 15 years. And at that time, there was not a lot of natural hair on YouTube. So that was kind of the thing that helped expose me to a larger audience. But when Shit White Girl Say happened, I thought, ooh, this is kind of interesting. Why is no one else using comedy to talk about social justice and to talk about race? Um, And so I pivoted my content and started trying to explore different ways to talk about social issues using comedy and just pop culture references and plain English that I felt was necessary because that was helping me learn and understand. So I was hoping it would help other people. But was it was it hard to see, you know, because the comments section was not always positive. You're putting yourself further into these kind of divisive spaces. And then you see other people in the comedy space, you know, who kind of have it easier because they're not touching on anything. I mean, were you ever jealous? Was it ever something? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was difficult to stay the course, especially when you get opportunities that aren't in line with your values. And for me, that's that's really important. You know, I, I want to continue to make work that I can be proud of. You know, my parents watch my content. I want to make sure that I do stuff that reflects on my mission of – making people laugh, but also making them think. And so, as you know, sometimes a brand comes to you and they want you to tap, fucking dance. And (laughs) I don't want to do that. You know, and it's so hard when you need to pay your bills and then you see somebody else take that opportunity and they get their financial gain and they're blowing up because of it. So that is very difficult. But I also think that there's something to be said for sticking to your values And that when the thing is supposed to come into your life that potentially helps your career or helps you in in the financial sense, it will be more rewarding because you worked for it. Yeah. And it's like if your journey is aligned with your value, because here's the thing, nothing's a guarantee, right? Period. And so if you're going to be compromising your values or trying to be someone that you're not, it... That's not a guarantee that that will succeed, but it is a guarantee that you're not going to enjoy the journey and that when you arrive somewhere at your destination, it's not going to be somewhere you were like aiming towards. Yeah, no, that's totally true. I mean, I have been very fortunate. I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things. It took some time, you know, and again, that was why it was important for me in the book to talk about some of those failures, to talk about times that things did not work out. Because, like, like what? Uh, like I got called into audition for SNL and I bombed, like bombed. Well, what is what is that? I've never auditioned for SNL. Uh, so SNL asks you to do... SNL like a, seems terrifying. It is so terrifying. Um, What's the SNL audition like? So it's a character showcase. So okay. you go in and you do a bunch of characters. Um, and I can do impressions. I've got a number of impressions that I can do. But the the SNL showcase is a very specific character presentation where they present characters in very specific, unique situations, very much like SNL. Of course, I should have known that, but I went in just like, I'm excited to try out for SNL. So I went up there and I was like, here's what Britney Spears sounds like versus here's Tom Hanks as a real estate agent, you know, mm. which is a very specific, unique way to present an impression, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so... I feel like that's a very important story to tell because people see me now and they're like, wow, you host a show for MTV and you've written a book and you've written for television and you've written for award shows like you are winning. And it's important to say, but I wasn't always winning. I had lots of times where I thought this was the one. This is the thing that's going to just like turn my whole life around and, and, and make me a star. And I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't actually do the homework. I had to follow my face in order to realize, okay, next time I get an audition, I need to do my research, go on YouTube and look at SNL auditions, right? Like they're available for you to look at for free. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that work. And so being really transparent about the mistakes that... The disappointments. Yes. You know, it's like you're happy with where you are now. You've worked hard to get there. And yes, there have been disappointments along the way. Absolutely. It, the road to success is littered with failures. Yeah. And then I'm always like, yeah. And then after the road to success also is a circle. It yeah. doesn't stop. Yeah. Like no matter what point you're at in your career, no. you will feel anxiety because eventually, essentially, you're a lifelong freelancer. Yeah. But I also think that some... I mean, not that I want to encourage people to like go through crippling anxiety but do I think it do so. it no i'm pretty sure most of our our earbuds which by the way is what we call our listeners yes. to analyze this most of our earbuds probably suffer from some sort of anxiety listen it's it is the 
artistic person's curse. Mm -hmm. But I do think that some little amount of self-doubt makes you a better creator because then you are always trying to be better. You're open to getting constructive feedback that's going to make you better versus the person who's like, I'm amazing. Everything that I touch is gold. I never get anything wrong. You want to be somebody who can step back from your work and say like, did I get this right? Is this perfect? How can it be better? Mm -hmm. I also think it just means that you care. Yeah. You know, you want people to like it at the end of the day and, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You shouldn't let it overtake you and prevent you from doing the work or getting better you have to do the work and make mistakes in order to get better yeah yeah which is why we have memoirs and mistakes because eventually you can turn those mistakes into a book um, <laughs> well i want to get back to kind of talking more about the accidental activism uh which i think couldn't have happened at a better time in our society and yeah. like a better time in this climate i i think it's really fascinating to watch your career as you navigate both being in entertainment an industry that is I mean, bias, cutthroat, cutthroat and, and, and biased and fake and stereotyping, et cetera, et cetera. It's funny because sometimes in interviews, people are like, wow, what do you think it was about My Drunk Kitchen that made your life such a success, blah, blah, blah. And I've said, I've been like, well, being white is a huge advantage because I just get to be par. Yeah. But if I was a person of color, like if I was a black person, it'd be like, is this a black kitchen show? Yeah. And everyone would be like, that's not my black and kitchen also, show. And even to just talk about like the stigma associated with like, drinking alcohol or like smoking weed like how many white dudes have built Get their careers off weed. being like stoners right Ugh. like like no shade but like there's no black version of jonah hill because mm -hmm. us smoking weed is seen as like a moral failing right mm -hmm. and also black people are uh system systemically more imprisoned yeah you know and that's just racism that's yeah. just it it's not that's it but it happens to so many marginalized communities that our media influences the way that we perceive that community. And it also shapes how you can be successful in certain ventures. Right. right. And so I think it's difficult to to actually be self-reflective and admit that it's hard to talk about our privilege. And especially because so often we just talk about white privilege. It seems for a lot of people like, oh, my God, you're beating up on me. You're saying that I didn't work hard. I've had everything handed to me. I've had an easy life. When in reality, all of us have privilege, right? Yeah. Like me as a straight person holding hands with my husband on the street. I'm not worried that someone might attack me, hmm. right? And that is a very real fear for a lot of LGBTQ people, right? That's very big of you. That's very big. I mean, like, though it is. It's very right. big of you. But it's also like I really think that every white person needs to understand what their privilege is inherently. Even if you... It's the first step in making a better world. Exactly. And it's like, even if you, let's say, you're 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 broke and you feel like your life has not gone the way you wanted and you don't have any of the things that all these other people have, so therefore you don't have privilege, I'm sorry, but by virtue of the fact that the law operates as it's intended for you because of your race, i.e. if you were shot and murdered someone would be held accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Th that's privilege at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it, it it influences so much of our life. And the way that I often use, or the way I often explain, explain privilege is when like a horse has like those blinders on, he can see what's in front of him, but there's all this stuff in the periphery that he can't see. And right. it doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't exist. He's still walking along doing his thing, but there are all these things that are happening that he just doesn't realize are existing and happening. Yeah. And in order to create a better world for everyone, we have to acknowledge that like my life operates in a certain way mm -hmm. because I'm straight, because I'm able-bodied, because I'm cisgender. And that's okay. Like those things are not my fault, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing that I talk about in the book and I really try to do in my work is talk about my own privilege first in order to help other people understand their privilege because that word is so loaded. Yeah. People it really, really people tense react. up. Yeah. I know, I know. You know, it's interesting because even um, conversations, I've, I've made it a personal goal in light of last year and just in life to have more uncomfortable conversations, be more direct when Ooh, I think people have said things. Yeah, to do the work. To, you know, not be a slacktivist and not be somebody that's like, you know, when people get upset about things, like when people get upset about movements, like remember the whole safety pin thing? Yeah. Okay. So basically people are like, I'm wearing a safety pin. I, 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 I might get this wrong. To show people to show support. that I'm an ally and that they're safe around me. Right. And then people were like, that's dumb. Don't do that. And then other people were like, 
stop. Well, I'm just trying to help. So I'm out now. Like, fuck you. Yeah. If your activism is conditional, like it's not activism. Yeah. That's really not how this works. (laughs) And if your activism doesn't always have to be something that everyone else can see. Oh, oh my goodness. It can be in private conversations, just one-on-one. I had a really long, uncomfortable conversation with a very, very, very close family member of mine who um, was talking about how, and this might, guys, what I'm about to say, some of you might agree with my family member on this, but I'm just going to tell you my opinion and this is my experience and this is it. The phrase that, you know, you can be racist, quote unquote, against white people. And I was like, not really, not relevantly racist against white people. And then my family member was like, well, I mean, I've been stereotyped with blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, but it's not really like what racism in the connotation of the word denotation was. If you're looking at the denotation of the word, sure, it's, you know, whatever. I think it also goes back to the fact that so many of these conversations are ones that we have not had. Mm -hmm. So people don't actually understand that like racism is not just saying mean words or hurting someone's feelings. And it's also not just like burning crosses in someone's yard. It's actually an entire structure that has been created to oppress an entire group of people. And so if someone hurts your feelings or they stereotype you as a white person, you can then leave that situation and no one is stereotyping you anymore. And you walk through the world as a white person who is seen as white by our education system, by our legal system, employment, hiring, employment and hiring, housing, Law enforcement. Law enforcement. Those are all areas of your life where you are not seen as part of a monolith that people of color are seen under. And, you know, this is not to say that it's okay to stereotype anybody. We should treat people like individuals, but it's also important to understand that it's not a one to one situation. Yeah. The same way, again, to use myself as an example, it's not fair to say, well, you can be, you know, you, you can stereotype me because I'm straight. And it's like, yeah. And what happens? Your feelings get hurt. Right. Like hurt feelings are not the same as oppression. It's not the same as not getting a job. Absolutely. Or it's not the same as being denied housing because somebody finds out that you're in a same sex relationship. Yeah. It's not the same as not being able to get affordable health care or health care at all because you are trans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the same as, you know, you being assaulted and because you are trans or because you are in a same sex relationship, then being the laws aren't the laws are not in your favor mm-hmm. or or as a woman, you know, as a cis straight woman, you know, those experiences are not the same as everybody else's experiences. Right. And so it's interesting because equality uh, equality always feels like uh, what's that quote equality always feels like when oppression. you're used to privilege when, equality feels like oppression yeah when yeah. you're when you're in the role of the oppressor like yeah when you're used to privilege equality feels like oppression and i feel like right now you know a lot of of men a lot of white people are feeling like well uh, nobody likes me <laughs> everybody's mad at me and it's like buddy just like it's gonna be okay like your life is gonna be okay like yeah. when people have gotten upset about things i'm always in the camp of you know, there's so there's a lifetime and uh, lifetimes of history and anger. I am perfectly happy to be like, OK, yeah, you know, and that's fine. My life is not affected yeah. by having compassion. you literally don't have to do. It's really not that hard to just try to see people as people. The hard stuff is actually advocating for people and showing yeah. up. You know, it's like the safety pin thing is the easy way out. The real work. I mean, I think everyone's activism takes shape in different ways. And for me, I'm so glad to hear you say that you're having tough conversations with people that you love because that family member is going to be more receptive to that conversation because you look like them yeah. and because you have a relationship we with them. We have unconditional love as a bond between us. And to be honest, the, the conversation was super, super productive and we got to a really good place about everything. We all have to do that work. We have to be willing to... You know, one of the things I talk about in the book is calling out versus calling in. Yeah. And we're all familiar with getting on Twitter and like making a stink because some celebrity or some movie or some brand fucked up. And I don't discount the need for those conversations. But I think it's also really important when our family members, when our partners, when, you know, our roommate does or says something that we pull them aside and we say, hey, listen, I really want to talk to you about this thing that you said and and how it affected me and, and why it's not OK. Yeah. And especially when that person looks like you. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's important, and I stress this so often, that it's not just white people that have to do this work. It's dudes that have to talk to other dudes because they're catcalling, or they don't understand consent, or they say something like really sketchy about a time that they were hooking up with somebody who was... Blackout. 
blackout drunk, right? If I say that to that dude, he's not going to be as open to listening to me as he will with Another a guy dude. who looks like him. And I'm also not in those spaces. It's right? like you feel less attacked when it's coming from someone that is in your same tier. Yeah. You know uh, what and, I mean? and, and it's because, again, we don't often realize how our biases are affecting the way that we're interpreting that conversation with that person. Yeah. You know, and, and so when yeah. the person looks like you, it's, you know what I, I liken it to? I love an analogy. Oh. Like when you're feeding a baby and you do like the airplane noise, mm-hmm. you're still feeding them vegetables, but you like package it and it's like, <laughs> Like, it's the same thing. You are packaging this, like, difficult to digest conversation in a way that's like, hey, buddy, let's talk about this together. We can do this. I'm like you. I've been there before. Let's all move forward together. It just makes it so much easier. Yep, 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 yep. I I love and applaud all my friends who... um, Don't say the N-word when singing along with a song. Oh, my husband says his own name. It works. Just say your own name. Patrick. Yeah, he's just like, Patrick's. he's like, yeah, my Patrick's. I'm like, I love it. It's <laughs> <Hey>. adorable. <laughs> but yeah, and like calling out people. I've, I've seen a friend call out their friend and be like, you can't say that, you know, and I'd be like, but it's in the song. It's like, you can't say that. Yeah, well, I think, again, that's a really difficult conversation for people because they're I'm, like, I'm, well, it's, I'm, not, I'm, it's not fair that let, I can say a word or you can say a word and I can't. Can we weigh the word difficulty here? Yeah. That is not difficult. Well, I think it's also one but of it's the, like difficult. Well, it's, yeah, but it's a few different things. One, I think it's really difficult for people to understand the the con not just the connotations, but that words can change meaning based on who's saying them, right? True, true. So, but I, I will say that I, I suppose it's more difficult from people who have never been denied the ability to do anything ooh. to be told they can't do something. Listen, you said it, not me. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, it, well, but like, and I also will tell you this funny thing, like it happens all the time. And as I'm, I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm, I'm opening myself up again, I came from a homophobic background, being in the queer community. I had a lot of education I could have about our trans members of our community. I've, I've been there to learn and it's embarrassing and humiliating and you just got to kind of muscle through. And the other day talking about Cardi B again, I was like, I did like, I said like, Oh girl or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, my girlfriend was like, you can't, don't do that. I was like, I can't go. They can't do that. She's like, don't do that, Hannah. Don't do that. Well, again, I think (laughs) context matters, but also understanding. I use the example of like my husband calls me baby and I love it. But if some random dude on the street calls me baby, I'm like, "Mm, sir, that is inappropriate. Mm. And if he was like, well, your husband calls you baby. I'd be like, yeah, he's my husband. and I have a relationship (laughs) with him. And baby means something different when it comes from him. And I think especially when it comes to like the N word, it's very difficult for people to understand. Why would you ever want to use a slur and, and, and have it be some sort of empowerment, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me personally, I don't use the word, but I understand the idea of taking something that's really painful and saying, I am going to take this back and I'm going to change it and make it something my own. Yeah. The same way that some comics do jokes about being fat, right? They're like, you make fun of me for being fat. I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to make jokes about being fat. Right. Or I used to, I used to uh, question, but then again, this is my own homophobic insecurity. When I first, after I first came out, I was like, does this look too dikey? I would say that all the yeah, time. Yeah, We're and always now, policing ourselves. And now I don't ever want to use that word for me personally. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it. I think it's a, it's not for me you yeah know and I, mean? I think that that's again that's a personal choice but that's a that's a but that's a choice that's that- a choice that you get to make and me as a straight person like I don't get to make that choice for you and that it's it's not a conversation that I I mean thank thank you for letting me be part of that conversation so I can understand your experience but I can't bust in and say, hey, all like LGBTQ people need to stop saying this word. And I often have situations where people are like, well, if you don't want anyone to use the N word, you need to stop using it. And I'm like, first of all, I don't use it. And I also don't have a fucking hotline to call every black person. Yeah, you and don't let, have your black you know group what? think. I'll talk about that at the next black people meeting. But we all will black all people sit of down America. and decide that we are collectively going to stop saying the N word. Yes. It's like, again, see me as a person. And an individual who does not use that word, and I would appreciate it if you do not use that word. Mm. And again, it's really easy. It's just easy. It's easy. once it, If you get grounded a little bit, it's easy. The happier people are in their lives, the more whole of a life and a self and self-love and self-acceptance they have, the more room they will make in their hearts for other people. Yeah, and I also think the willingness to take responsibility for when you do fuck up. Yeah. Because... You might. Actually, no. Scratch that. You will. You will. You, you will, will fuck up. Every single person does. I literally wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, if you are willing to say, oh my goodness, 
I just screwed up. I'm really sorry. I'm going to work to do better. People are really willing to give you the space to do that because it's so rare that people actually do that. And right now, we are going to take a space to do that to get a word in from our sponsors. I also want to talk to you guys about something that I really, really love. My panties. (laughs) I know that, I mean, I know we've said this before, but I feel like it cannot be overstated. Hannah Hart really likes a good pair of underwear. I do. I love a good pair of underwear. I want something that's form-fitting, yet comfy, yet soft, that's freeing and allows me to really be me. Something just high quality. Yeah, high quality. You know, that doesn't have to be replaced every six days. Yeah. Whoa. I got to stop buying my underwear. What are you doing with your underwear, dude? (laughs) What's your underwear made out of? Uh, You know, it's like from Target. Because I know that underwear made by Tomboy X will definitely last more than six days. It's underwear that fits you and how you see yourself. They've got bikinis, briefs, boxer briefs, trunks, and boy shorts. Oh, I will say that the soft bra and the razorback bra I got, I love. It's super, super, super cute. It's triangular enough to be slightly feminine, but like has enough coverage, so I really don't feel like I'm giving it all away for free. (laughs) That's great, dude. Also, I think they have this new print that I saw, um, and it's kitty. It's like kitty heads. (gasps) Yeah, so I need to order like 100 pairs of Um, those. Yeah, we need to do that ASAP. And you guys need to do that ASAP too by going to tomboyx.com slash Hanalyze and checking out their special bundles and pack pricing. And Hanalyze this listeners, our earbuds, get an extra 15% off using the code Hanalyze. Again, that's H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-Z-E for an extra 15% off. So take off whatever you're wearing. Just kidding. It's summer after it's all. It's summer after all. Get <laughs> naked and then put on a pair of Tomboy X underwear by going to tomboyx.com slash analyze. It's going to feel great. You know, I wonder if they call the line with the kitty print a uh, pussy power. <laughs> well, they better now. Anyway, bye, Hannah. I'm going back to talk to Francesca Ramsey. Okay, well, I'm going to go back to... Your bed filled with fabulous my, clothes my and underpants. underpants. <laughs> And feelings. Today we're talking with Francesca Ramsey, a.k.a. Cheska Lee. Will you do me a favor and will you spell out your username so that people can find you on the internet? Absolutely. C-H-E-S-C-A-L-E-I-G-H. Love that. Love that. We are talking about everything under the sun uh, and especially your new book, Well That Escalated Quickly. So how have you found the experience of having a published book going? exhausting, exhilarating, surprising, confusing. It's easy to read, by the way. It's very readable. (laughs) It flows really quickly. It's like having a conversation with you. Again, I'm only 100 pages in, but it's nice. And you really put it all out there. I mean, I I just finished the chapter uh, where you talk about the the whole slut-shaming discussion, which was one of the Internet's more heated debates. Yeah, I mean, I again, I feel like it is almost impossible to ask people to be self-reflective and honest about their mistakes if you don't do it yourself and I feel like oh yeah I mean I'm pretty sure that's just being an asshole yeah but it but here's the thing is it's so revolutionary I keep having these conversations with people where they're like you wrote a book where you talked about all the times you fucked up and I'm like yeah yeah yeah. and I really think that if I talk about it then maybe you will be a little bit more open to doing that too yeah yeah because it's kind of like when you put yourself on a pedestal or your behavior on a pedestal it really just reflects how much shame you might actually feel like for instance having these educational conversations around race identity you know gender sexuality etc you have to make yourself vulnerable to grow yes and if you're so scared of admitting that maybe you've gotten things wrong in the past or rather admitting that you didn't know oh then they're so hard think about how insecure you must feel about the other things in your life yeah you I know mean, it's really difficult to admit when you're wrong and I think that that's just something that again is so foreign to people that it feels like a, a moral failing to admit that you don't know something or, or you screwed up and it doesn't make you a bad person like we're flawed humans like, it's inevitable speaking of flawed humans I have to I, I and I want 
to make sure that we get this in because I, I am aware. Let me check real quick. Pause, pause, pause. Whew, we are good. Yeah. Um, we have about 10 I minutes I feel like we've left. covered so much I know, stuff. I know. Okay. But before I let you go, I really want to talk to you specifically about trolls, mm, the internet. Mm. How do you know when to engage? How do you know when not to engage? How do you know if the other person's just a bot? Like, well, you know what I mean? Like, I have never... Most times they're a bot. You know, I see mostly when I'm on Twitter, I'm reading conversations you're having with people, yeah. you know, and that actually I think is a resource that you're providing yeah, because I'm reading sure. through these conversations because I can't engage. I mean, when I do, it just makes me feel so powerless it's a drain. It's a it's drain. An, it's an emotional drain. And I really have stepped back from engaging with that stuff, largely because I don't think it's fair to my audience. It's not fair to the people who enjoy my work and actually care about me to invest my time and energy in people that don't like me, are never going to like me, and their opinion of me is never going to change. Right. And, and they're I, just baiting you. Absolutely. And I think it's important to to also say that, okay, this is something that everybody deals with online, but we also have trolls in our real life. We also have people who are trying to suck up our time and our energy with negativity. And maybe it's that family member who has something to say about your body or the person that you're dating or the thing that you're studying in school or the job that you don't have or the neighborhood you live in or whatever it is. We all have that person that when you get a new job, they're like, oh, she cute because she got a job. Mm-hmm. Look at you. And you're like, yes, I can pay my bills now. I am cute. What, mm-hmm. what is wrong with you? And instead of being like, whatever, I'm going to do what I need to do, we invest our time and our energy in that person. Right. And ultimately what it does is it knocks us off of our path right and that's what trolls online also do especially when it comes to conversations around identity they are not happy to see people having conversations about privilege and oppression because that is scary to them the idea that like someone that they think is less than is going to have visibility and equal rights uh uh-uh, we cannot have that so mm-hmm. what i'm going to do is i'm going to try and annoy you and keep you from working on your show, writing your book. I'm going to take your attention away from the things you're trying to do. Absolutely. You know, but I've heard from other creators in our community, like I've heard some people find it really empowering. To it can be. Controls. Yeah, it I, absolutely I mean, can be. And everybody has to come up with what works for them. And right. there was a, a, a long amount of time where I did engage with trolls in a way where, like you were saying, I would debunk something that someone was saying in order to inform my audience and say, like, look, here are common questions that you might be encountering in real life with your friends and family. I'm going to show you how I respond to this thing. Mm. For me, I realized that I was still uplifting that person and giving them attention that they did not deserve. And so instead, I put it into my work. That's why on Decoded, we do episodes like four myths about Black Lives Matter debunked or myths about black hair or why do people get so uncomfortable with privilege and we use some of those trolling comments and questions in the content so that we don't have to give attention to some troll account on Twitter who's just looking for retweets and and angry mm-hmm. follows and people arguing and engaging it's with them all day. It's kind of like the people that accuse like um you know they say oh this country took away all of our jobs and it's like i'm sorry but do you know it's the rich white guy that owned the company that moved the jobs yeah exactly i i always think it's really funny when they're like mexicans are stealing our jobs like honestly if i got to work and a mexican was sitting at my desk i'd be like you know what you can fucking have it you got here early you took my job <laughs> it's yours it doesn't happen that way right, right like that unless, is a falsehood well but that's because you have been raised with the inherent understanding that sometimes you don't get the things that you have earned. Yeah, this idea of someone has stolen something from you Pre, like rest on the idea that that thing belonged to you, that it Correct. was owed to you. I'm like, that's not how jobs work. Like you apply for a job and if you are qualified, you get it. And if you are unhappy that a company is offering jobs or employment to undocumented folks, you should be unhappy that they think it's better a better use of their money to pay someone a lower wage because oftentimes with they no health care they're not paying these people. No, they are doing the company is making that decision. It's not the presence of the people right. that has like forced the company to do this. The company's been like, oh wow, can I save well, pennies to the dollar? And it's also just like ignoring again the history of this nation. Like if you really want to get real about shit, let's talk being about railroads stolen. Oh yeah, well, let's like, talk about that. How, how <laughs> we get here yeah. do you know what i mean how did my black ass people get here yeah. how did your family get here yeah. who built this nation yeah. who 
who lived in this nation before someone decided to plant a flag and say this is the United States of America. And so, again, these are conversations that we should have been having in, like, elementary school. I I hope that we get to a point, yes, absolutely, where we can talk about... my hope for uh, conversations about minority and racial inequality can get to a point where we're speaking enough of a common language that we can point out, you know, that the black American experience is wildly different from the immigrant experience. Oh, absolutely. Because black people were kidnapped and enslaved and brought over. Yeah, and there's also there's also black immigrants that are here. That from, are here uh, now. Yeah, exactly. So and and there are also again, there's there's intersectionality of the fact that we have people of color, we have LGBTQ people of color, we have like white, you know, yeah. LGBTQ people, and that like all of these experiences are valid, but they're all different. They're all different. And I think that that's a really important level of the conversation that we haven't gotten to yet because to continue for minorities to feel like they're being pitted against each other devalues a their efforts and b the the history that led them to where they are but it's also perpetuating something that's always existed yeah Yeah, this idea that like we can't work together and that we should be fighting with each other all of the time and ignoring who is like actually creating the structure who's actually creating the the inequalities and we see this all of the time right where again other black people are policing how other black people are behaving or other you know lgbtq folks are saying like you're not a good representation of our community you should be acting this way what you're essentially doing is you are moving the conversation away from the structures that are making it so that there can only be one type. I liked what you said earlier kind of about the the role jealousy can play. Instead of like using it to just accuse someone of having something you deserve, why don't you work and get it to? Yeah, and, to under, I mean? and bring and, yourself into the space. Yeah, and to understand like how that person got there. Yeah. And that, again, that's really difficult. It's hard to be self-reflective and and for me, I have found so much uh, inspiration by seeing other people do that. So, you know, that's what I want to do as well. And I feel like that is what inspired me to write this book. Um, and I hope that people are able to read it and see from my mistakes, the fact that I, that there were things that I did not know, yes. um, that they can also learn and grow too. Yeah. It's, it's, And I just want to point this out because we got to let our earbuds go, but there are tips and tricks in here for if you want to start having these uncomfortable conversations, uh, you can use certain resources provided in the book. For instance, how to respond to the comment, all lives matter. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We've opened up that page. Yeah. Um, So I have a chapter about cringeworthy comments and comebacks for them. And, uh, you know, again, the all lives matter one is one of those comments that people make thinking that they're saying something positive. I mean, like thinking that they're saying something in reality. Yes. All lives should matter. But unfortunately, not everyone is treated fairly based on what they look like and and what identities they embody. And the idea of Black Lives Matter is not saying that other people's lives don't matter. They're saying we should have a conversation about how black people are treated by our justice system and police violence and how it affects black people. And the fact that black people advocating that people advocating for black lives mattering does not take away from advocating for the other lives that also matter. Yeah, exactly. Latino lives, Asian lives, et cetera. Yeah, I use the now I use the joke of like you know, save the rainforest doesn't mean fuck all the other trees, right? Like we still think all trees are important. And but- to be honest, you know what? Maybe don't fuck any trees. Yes, no, do Please not don't have fuck a tree. Listen, do not have sex with a tree unless they're open to it. It's important. <laughs> Consent is something that I also I'm, feel oh, we should man. be talking about. I just know this is going to get us in trouble. <laughs> Listen, if you like trees, I like you. There you be go. Be who you need to be. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the way that we talk about certain issues, you know, I think the other thing that is frustrating about like the all lives matter thing is it's it's a faux movement that doesn't exist that that doesn't actually do anything it just excuses people from participating in the black Lives it's just like y'all aren't having marches you aren't doing sit-ins you're not doing anything to try and like move policy forward on any issues this was just a hashtag or a rally cry that was created to try and shut down to try and devalue another conversation about other yeah exactly it's it's just not fair so if you're considering having these uncomfortable awkward conversations and you want to participate but you don't know exactly what to say i'm happy to say in for jessica's book 
book, you also, in your book, you're Francesca, you also <laughs> provide um, some tips and tricks for responding to, what, what do you call it? The chapter is called Eulogies for Cringeworthy Comments. Wow. Okay. We are putting them to rest. Now, you guys have to get the book to get the, what the eulogies are, but what are some of the cringeworthy comments? You've probably heard some of these. Uh, sorry if you're offended. Why are you so angry? Maybe if you stop talking about that all the time, it wouldn't be such a problem. <laughs> I love that one because problems go away when you just ignore them. Just ignore those like problems. Like taxes. <laughs> I don't have to worry about taxes anymore because I don't talk about them. Oh, my God. Uh, stop playing the victim. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, wow. People say that all of the time whenever you talk about a real issue. I liken it to the only time I would play a victim is if I got cast on Law and Order SVU. <laughs> I would be down for that. Yeah. That's like a, a That's serious a, credit. I will play that victim. Yeah, I yeah. will. You, yes. I will hold still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, give me a couple more. Um, don't you have more important things to think about? Rude. Uh, it's just a joke. Whoa. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. No, this is making me so excited. Guys, if you want to read the book, if you want to get your own copy, you can find it everywhere. Store, everywhere yes, go sold. to any bookstore. There's also an audio book. You can also go to my website. Yes, you can go to wtequbook.com. Wtequbook.com. Yes, do it up. And you're on tour right now, right? Yes, your I am. It's been so awesome to like see the people who engage with my work in real life as you know on the internet they're just like little names and like little circles but then in real life they're real people and it's just been so awesome the response has been so cool and I am so thankful that I have friends like you who are supporting the book and and enjoying the work and and also doing the work you know you're having important conversations on this show you're having important conversations in your YouTube videos and with your friends and family. And I think that is so valuable. You cannot discount that. I appreciate that a lot, man. And I honestly, it's like the more self-acceptance, love, get past your insecurities, the more stable you feel, the more room you make inside your heart, the more open you will be to helping other people. So Francesca, thank you so much for being here. Guys, make sure you follow Francesca online all across the internet uh, and get grab a copy of her book, Well That Escalated Quickly, today. And if you haven't already, please rate and review this podcast and also subscribe so that you can have your ears filled with this magic. Uh, that's it for me. I'll see you next week, earbuds. And then I like to go... Yay. Yeah.